Welcome back to the podcast. In this next series of sermons, we're talking about our purpose, our mission, and our values here at First Pres. We're calling it the Bare Necessities, which might seem a little silly, but you'll understand as we go along. We're using the Gospel of John and the Book of Genesis. I hope you enjoy it. All right, so we've been talking about our purpose here at First Pres to love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And we've been talking about our mission at First Pres to go and make disciples. And we've been talking about the values that guide us as a church. We believe that in order to be disciple making disciples who practice the love of God and others, that we must be a church that is becoming more and more biblically literate, spiritually formed mission-focused, and gospel-fluent. All right, if I see you on Town Center and I ask you what are our values, are you going to be able to say them back to us by now? I won't do it tomorrow, but, you know, you never know. Could be soon. They're important. Values and vision are important. They're vital to a church. We have got to know where we're going if we are ever going to get anywhere. (laughs) But we also have to know how we're going to get there. So we believe that to do all of this, that we need to be two churches at the same time. Not a divided church, but two different churches. A church that gathers to equip, to encourage one another in our own discipleship journey. And we also must be a church that is sent into our neighborhoods, into the city, into our world, to serve others, to proclaim and to put on display the good news of salvation found in Jesus. So this gathered church, this physical building, it is a place, it's a presence in our community. But it's a place where we do more than just come and worship once a week. This really, it's like a gymnasium. These are our training grounds. This is the place where we are equipped with the tools that we need to accomplish the mission that has been set before us. And for the past two weeks, we've been talking about what happens here, that the gathered church focuses on becoming more and more biblically literate, on becoming spiritually formed, our first two values. And over the past couple of weeks, as we've speak, spoken about these values, we introduced two really important concepts from the biblical narrative. Sabrina shared with you when she talked about biblical literacy She framed it in context of the word of God, which we find in John 1 and all the way back in Genesis 1. And then last week, as we talked about being spiritually formed, we talked about this idea of the breath of the spirit of God that we find in John 15 and in Genesis 1. We find this stuff all throughout scripture. This week and next, we're going to talk about what it means to be the sent church. A sent church doesn't need a building because it has people. And its people live in the world each and every day, everywhere they go, exercising the final two values, being mission-focused and gospel-fluent. And these two churches need one another. It is not either or, it is both and. They are united. The gathered church is what equips the sent church, and the sent church builds and grows the gathered church. So we really believe that this process is what will enable us both individually and as a community to grow and become inwardly strong and stay outwardly focused. So this week and next, I want to add to our biblical themes and I want to talk about how being made in the image of God 
not only prepares us, but it actually requires that we be a church sent out into the world. So let me read you this from John chapter 20. I actually read some of this last week. Uh, This is after the resurrection. Jesus is appearing to his disciples. It says, on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what does being sent by Jesus have to do with being made in the image of God? Today, in particular, we're talking about the value of being mission-focused. So what do mission trips, what do opportunities to care for and serve our neighbors and the nations, what does that have to do with being made in the image of God? Well, I would argue it has everything to do with it. So I want to show you what I mean. In the very first verses of Scripture, we are told that God brought all thing into existence out of nothing. And we are told that God brought order and structure to chaos. Listen to this. This is a translation from a Hebrew scholar named Robert Alter. I'm going to take a deep breath because in the Hebrew there are very few periods. It's just a bunch of ands. So you've got to take a deep breath and read it all. When God began to create heaven and earth and the earth was wild and waste and darkness was over the chaos and God's breath hovering over the waters, God said, let there be light. And there was light. (laughs) There was both nothing and there was chaos. Now that might seem like two different things, like it's a contradiction, but it's not. What do both nothingness and chaos have in common? There is no life if there's nothing, and if there's chaos, it drowns out and suffocates the ability for life to flourish and thrive. You see, the first verses of scripture, they introduce us to God. And the first things they tell us about God are that he is powerful enough to call something into existence out of nothing just by speaking. But he cares enough about what he has made to make sure there is stability and order in the midst of chaos. As you keep going through the chapters over the days of creation in Genesis 1, God continues to tame the chaos. He brings order to it. By creating time, he creates weather, he creates land and environment where agriculture can grow. He could have told us a million things about physics and about the nature of the known world. Why focus on those three things, time, weather, agriculture? What do you need to live? You need a pattern, light and dark, waking and sleeping. You need time. You need clean water, you need warmth, you need weather, and you need to eat. (laughs) We need agriculture. You see, the first days of creation, as the story tells it, it provides the structure and order so that life can flourish. Then in the final days of creation, God fills those structures with plants and fish and birds and bugs and cows and quokkas. 
Do y'all know what a quokka is? Nobody in this room knows what a quokka is? Raise your hand. You know what a quokka is. Lisa knows what a quokka is. That's why you're on my team. Y'all, I'm going to introduce you to the happiest animal on the planet. Look at this. Keep going. And, and get ready for this one. They love to be photographed. They love tourists. And I'm going to tell you how messed up this world is. That friendly, happy animal is so sweet that a few years ago on the internet, there was a nasty rumor that they take their babies and throw them at their enemies so they can escape. We couldn't even let quackos just be happy and kind. We had to make up rumors about them that are totally not true. I mean, look at creation and look at that and you tell me that God is not creative and fun and that God doesn't care about what he's made. But then I want you to think about all the beauty and the amazing things throughout creation and then realize that it wasn't until after that that he made humans. And listen to how the story introduces us. After everything else has been made, the stage has been set. The creator has one final creature to create. And it says this, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish and the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Now, next week, we're gonna talk about God referring to himself as us in the plural. Just hang on to that. We'll do that next week. But for this week, what I want you to notice is that every other creature, God just speaks it into existence and it is. And it tells us throughout the story that those creatures then reproduce according to their kind. Every creature made according to its kind. But humans, the formula is different. We are formed in the very image of God, not made according to their kind, but made in the image of God. And God is so excited about what he is doing. He is so excited about this creature he's creating. He actually sings a song. Look at this. When you see in your Bible an indentation like this, it's an interruption. It's poetry. It's often sung. It's a pause in a story because all of a sudden there is something to celebrate. But what I want you to look at first, look at what comes before and after the song. Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky. And then going on further down, then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky. Now look, we all want to know, every human who's ever lived, we want to know the meaning of life. Why are we here? If that's all you had to work with, that one passage, why are we here? Why did God create us? It actually answers the question. First, to be like God. Not to be God, but to be like God. And second, to reign. 
to fill the earth, to subdue it, to govern it. He created us to work, to garden, to farm and ranch, to guide and care for creation just as God has gardened and guided and cared for creation. You see, Genesis 1 tells us that bearing God's image, it means many things, but it at least means that we are to do the things that God has done. Now, we can't create something out of nothing just by speaking, but because we were made in his image, because we are made in his image, we have the ability to take chaos and disorder and bring to it order and stability. Do you want to know the secret to being mission-focused? You have been offered a job. Say yes. Simply be a part of the team. You see, to be an image bearer, it at least means that we are invited to be co-workers, partners with God in the project of taking what is wild and waste and turning it into an environment where life can flourish. Many of you know that across the street, we have this undeveloped land, and there's always this conversation about what we're going to do with it, right? Now, from what I've heard while I was gone a few years ago, uh, it was cleared out. It was made very nice, and it was used for different outdoor activities. But over time, as those outdoor activities were no longer happening, the land went from being manicured and cared for to what? Wild and waste. (laughs) Dangerous, honestly. Overgrown, full of weeds and snakes. I mean, who knows what else? You see, the truth is, a field of dirt, a patch of ground, it might sprout life on its own with the right amount of rain, with the right amount of sunlight. But will it grow healthy fruit? Will it produce so that it can provide for the needs of animals and humans? Maybe, maybe not. But even if it does, eventually it will grow out of control. It'll even begin to protect itself by producing thistles and thorns to keep the animals and humans from having access to the fruit that it needs. That's a problem. So what's the solution? God put within the garden a creature with thumbs and the ability to create and use tools a partner made in the image of God to do with that patch of dirt what God has done with the universe. To bring order and structure to it. To bring form to a place that if it's left by itself, it'll be formless, disordered, and eventually dangerous. You see, to be made in the image of God, it means many things. But at the bare minimum, it means that we are invited to reign over, to subdue and govern creation to impose on it God's will that all life will thrive and flourish. At the very least, we are co-workers sent into the world to participate in the project God started when God created heaven and earth. So I want to add another element to our understanding of the image of God for this week, and then I'll bring the two ideas together, and I promise I will get to the point Uh, But do you remember the song I showed you that God sang as he created humanity? In between the explanation of why we're here, God breaks and makes this poetic declaration about who we are. 
And he says, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. C.S. Lewis wrote this amazing piece called The Weight of Glory. Tammy, that's right. Tammy loves C.S. Lewis. So many of you probably do too, and maybe some of you have read this. Uh, The word glory in Hebrew is the word kavod, and it literally means heavy. It's like a force being pushed down. And Lewis, of course, acknowledges that all the glory is God's. But he argues that humanity also bears the weight of glory, that it's part of what it means to be made in God's image, to be united with Christ, to be remade, to be like Christ. Now, when he talks about this, he cautions us. He says any individual who focuses too much on the heaviness of their own glory, well, you're at risk of thinking eventually that you are God and forgetting that you're just a bearer of God's image. So it's important that we keep ourselves in place and we don't think too much about the weight of our own glory. But he goes on to say that it is good and necessary to think often and to think deeply about what it means that our neighbor bears the same weight of glory because they too are made in God's image, invited to be united with Christ, to be remade to be like Christ. In a famous passage some of you may be familiar with, he says this, he says, you have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, civilizations, these are mortal and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors and everlasting splendors. He goes on to say next to the sacraments themselves, go back for a second because I'll forget it. Next to the sacraments themselves, your neighbor is the holiest object present to your senses. In an earlier passage, he said this, he said, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible immortals and image bearers. He says gods and goddesses with lower G's. To remember that the dullest, I love this, to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which you would be strongly tempted to worship. He's not saying to worship each other, but he's saying that when you recognize the image of God in one another, you may be tempted to because you will see something of what is divine. To be an image bearer of God at least means that we are co-workers, partners in the project of taking what is wild and waste and turning it into an environment where life can flourish. But that doesn't only happen in a garden. This isn't just about bringing order to the chaos in nature. Sometimes it means bringing order to the chaos of human life. Taking what is broken and doing our part to make it whole again. God has done the part that only he can do. And he continues to take what is chaotic and broken and make it whole again. If we are his partners, his disciples, his image bearers, then to the extent that we are able, that job also belongs to us. Jesus said to his disciples, peace be with you as the father has sent me, I am sending you. We are redeemed by Christ, united with Christ, being remade to be like Christ so that 
We can do the work of Christ in the world. So what does the image of God have to do with being the sent church? With being mission focused? What does the image of God have to do with mission trips and opportunities to care for others? I really believe everything. Because mission is all about partnership. It's about understanding that we were invited to be partners with God and his mission and then inviting others to join us in the work. And y'all, this church has always understood this. For decades, this church has partnered with churches and neighborhoods in Lima, Peru to help bring some order and stability to an area that has been ravaged by disorder and chaos for far too long. And this is what's important. Those trips are not about doing for the people of Peru things that we think that they can never do for themselves. That's not why we go. We don't believe that. We are not their savior. Only Jesus is. That's condescension. And only God can condescend because only God can do for us what we can't do for ourselves. You see, our partnership with Peru is about creating environments in which our image-bearing Peruvian brothers and sisters can have a better opportunity to develop and establish that order and stability for themselves. I've had the opportunity since I left here and came back, I had the opportunity for years. Uh, A friend named Ricardo who's from Honduras and I've had the chance to take groups to this remote part of Southwest Honduras where he lives. And over the years, we've had the opportunity to work with an entire village of Hondurans to build schools, to build clinics, even to start a coffee farm and a cattle ranch. Can y'all see me moving cattle? I've done it. The farm, the ranch, and the schools together are now the largest employers in that area. And they bring resources, work, hope, and most importantly, they do it in the name of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they're bringing it to an area that's been ravaged by disorder and chaos for far too long. Before this, before my Honduran friend Ricardo came to America to be educated so that he could go back home and care for his people, before this foundation that has done all of this work, guess who was the largest employer in the area? You know who. It was the drug lords. Every year I go, I sit with mothers who have watched their sons get on four-wheelers with a bag of drugs and never see them again. Because that was their only way out. I have sat with mothers who have put their kids on the top of a train, hoping that they make it to the United States because that was their only way out. Until now. Now because of the work that God has called his church and his people to do, there is opportunity and there is hope and these mamas can be with their babies. Amen? That is good work and that is work that will have generational impact. That's the kind of stuff that we're called to do. We are to be subduers of our gardens. They are to be subduers of their own garden. Our job is just to help equip them in whatever way we can to do that image-bearing work. When mission is about one group of people doing for others what they assume they can't do for themselves, mission is about control and subjugation. It can even be abusive. And we have seen that happen throughout the centuries. 
But when one people helps equip another people to work with God to bring order out of chaos, that's partnership. That's mission. That's our focus. Mission is also about dignity. It's about recognizing humanity. When I had the chance, the couple times that I had the chance to go to Peru with First Prez and when I get to go visit my friend Ricardo in Honduras, I meet a lot of people and they don't look anything like me. They don't speak like me. I was telling the 930 service, in Honduras, I'm tall. <laughs> Which is shocking, but it's true. They're very different. Um, some of you may know, I don't know if this is a surprise, but I have some tattoos. Uh, when I go to Honduras and I'm working in my t-shirt, uh, the workers notice, and the first time I went, two days after I was there working for a couple days, some of the workers started showing up with those fake sleeve tattoos. <laughs> Great influence, Chad. <laughs> but we're very different, looking for ways that we can come together, that we can have something in common. And what we need to remember is that we have the most important thing in common. The word of God in our hearts and on our minds, the breath of God filling our lungs and the image of God written on our DNA. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible immortals, to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which you would be strongly tempted to worship. When humans look down on other humans from other nations because they're different, they're forgetting that we live in a world full of image bearers. That when we see them that way, we won't be liable to judge and have scorn in our minds, but we would be tempted to fall at their feet and worship. In our own neighborhood, in our city, when we look down on or when we look past others because they're different from us, whether it's race, and y'all, race is not the only dividing issue we have in our country. It can be class, education, career, whatever it is. We are forgetting that we live in a city full of image bearers. And if we recognize the image of Christ in them, we wouldn't be judging and we wouldn't have scorn. We would be tempted to fall at their feet and worship. What if there was a group of people on the planet who looked at other humans that way? What if a third or even a sixth of the people on the planet had a savior who told them, you were made in my image and this is what you're supposed to do? And what if they actually did it? Would that have an impact on the world around us? When we begin to see the world and each other with the eyes of Christ, when we learn to understand the world and understand each other with the mind of Christ, when we learn to love the world and each other with the heart of Christ, and when we will go and serve the world and each other with the hands and feet of Christ, then our partnership will not care about borders, will not care about what separates us. All that we will care about is loving and serving our neighbor because when we look in their face, we recognize the weight of glory. When you leave here today, we're gonna to say this benediction over each other that we say each week to remind one another that where you go, you're entering into your garden. You're entering into your mission field the moment you leave this building. 
that you have been given people and places. You've been given dry patches of land to tend and care for so that God's plan for a flourishing life will extend beyond the doors of this church, beyond your front yard, down your street, through the neighborhood, our city, our state, our country, and out to the ends of the earth. That's the job for every one of us. And there are endless opportunities for this work, endless ways every single day that we can practice being a coworker, a partner with God. As the world continues to open up, we're gonna offer more and more opportunities to practice that together, to exercise being coworkers together. This is what it means to be mission focused. That your creator formed you, equipped you, and then invited you to partner with him to do the work of his creation, to do the work of his kingdom. Is that heavy? Do you see what I mean? There is a weight when you realize the creator of the universe does not simply tolerate you. He is inviting you to join him in bringing hope and life and peace to a chaotic world around us. To carry that weight of glory into the world. So you have been offered a job. Say yes, accept it. The pay is good in the end. (laughs) Just be a part of the team. To God be the glory. Amen, let's pray. Father, we are reminded in the midst of all of this that we are broken and flawed, that you created us to do a job and we rejected you. We turned it down. We said, no thanks, we'll come up with some work on our own. Even still, you made a way to redeem and restore those broken images within us, inviting us again to continue that work that you put us here in the first place to do. So God, we pray that you would help us to be a people who are courageous and willing to step up and do the work, but also a people that are creative and inventive, that we would use that spirit that we take into the world and we would apply it to the work of the church, that we would come up with a million ways so that your kingdom would profit, that your kingdom, your creation would flourish, and we right along with it. So equip us for this good work and show us all of the opportunities we have to do it. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at www.fpc-kingwood.org. Our services are available on our website and find us on Instagram at fpc underscore kingwood. We'll see you next time.